Hello, and welcome to Here Now, a Whitechapel Gallery podcast that delves into the stories behind the exhibitions on view at the gallery here in the heart of East London. Each episode invites a curator to be in conversation with artists, collaborators and other thinkers about the works and themes explored in the displays, giving you special access to the ideas that shape the artworks. My name is Jane Scarth, Curator of Public Programmes, introducing you to today's episode featuring artist Nalini Milani in conversation with Whitechapel Gallery curator Emily Butler about her latest commission, Can You Hear Me? Here, they discuss Milani's work and career to date, as well as the themes of the new nine-channel video installation, which explores global issues of social injustice, where the voiceless share centre stage with mythic characters, intellectuals and poets. The exhibition is free to view in Gallery 2 and is on display from the 23rd of September 2020 until the 6th of June 2021. My name is Emily Butler. I'm delighted to be in conversation today with Indian artist Nalini Milani, who we are speaking to from her temporary studio in Amsterdam during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're really delighted that Nalini is exhibiting as part of our prestigious commissions programme that invites major international artists to create site-specific installations in our Gallery 2 space. The exhibition aims to respond to the architecture of that space and to the history of Whitechapel. It's an exhibition that unfolds over the course of several months. Nalini is a major international figure, having exhibited in important biennials and exhibitions across the globe. She's a pioneering artist whose socio-political interests, her championing of feminist concerns and social equality are still as urgent today as they were when she graduated from art school in the late 1960s. We will come on to discuss her 50-year practice and how she works in many different media, but I first wanted to explore the details of this very special video installation for Whitechapel Gallery. Nalini, it's a little bit like walking into an animation chamber, as you call it, when you enter your installation. In this dark space, there's colourful figures that dance, there's texts that flash up, and images and writing progress across the bare Victorian brick walls, almost like moving graffiti. There's a babble of sound and voices that completely fills the space, and there's a mixture of very fluid drawings, often using your signature black, white and red lines, And we see figures moving, talking, shouting, and lots of different texts. You've said that the triggers for your work are often drawn from three broad areas. So they might be personal thoughts, uh, quotes from inspirational authors, or images from influential artists, and also news stories. Throughout the installation, we see 88 animations that are projected at different angles from nine projectors. And as the space is dark, the images really bounce off the walls and it almost feels like walking around in a magic lantern. The installation I feel is really relatable as a viewer as the animations are very human in scale. And sometimes when you walk around the space, the shadows of the viewers dance in tandem with the images. My five-year-old son described it neatly as walking in a dream or walking in, around in someone's mind as you experience the installation. And I know you quite liked how the audience is able to appreciate different layers of the work as there's something in there for everyone. I wondered, could you tell us a little bit more about how you make your animations and how you came to exhibit them together through multi-channel video installations? That's a lovely introduction and it describes the work extremely well. From the point of view of how I actually make the works, it all started by uh, drawing on my animation app 
because there were things that I'd read and things that were happening around me that I wanted to react to. Uh, and I have been making books for a long time, painted books, artist books, um, on various subjects. And this seemed to be uh, the moment when I felt that I could make uh, drawing animations that were like notepad, notebooks. And as I started to make them, and uh, you know, they were just thoughts from my head or uh, a poem that I'd read which registered with that moment that I was experiencing uh, back home, um, it sort of resonated with what I was experiencing. And therefore, if I have nothing twice from Vislava or for, or for that matter, uh, a sense of despair and uh, cynicism, uh, and then what comes up is things like I'm exhausted or fail better from uh, Beckett. And so, you know, I also read a lot and all the thoughts that come from different books sort of come together in a kind of a collage in my mind. But I had to lay them out in notebook fashion on my iPad. Now, the iPad itself uh, is simply a screen, but the fact of using my fingers to draw has a sensuous quality to it. It's like messing with paint, as I love to do anyway with physical paint. And so that's how it started. And it was later that I, when I once uh, projected these animations uh, with a good quality projector and found that it worked pretty well uh, as a projection. And that's when the idea of making a kind of notebook more like an accordion notebook that you walked into and it was like walking into all the buzz that was happening in my head and the fantasy world that uh, that I had uh, sort of uh, collaged into my head with all the uh, writings that I had read and all the poems and so on that's how it all started I really love this uh, image that you've just said about this uh, kind of accordion notebook that folds around the space and you're talking about kind of a, a, an artist notebook that you started, I think, um, when you're traveling a lot away from your normal studio. Um, so there's kind of your uh, personal thoughts that you're writing into it. Um, but you said also that you were very excited when we first approached you to make a commission in what was the former central reading room of the Whitechapel Gallery, because in your animations, you transcribe quotes by seminal writers such as Hannah Arendt, James Baldwin, George Orwell, or Vizlava Zimborska, who you just mentioned. You described um, inserting the animations and quotes back into the space of this former reading room, almost like filling the walls again with books. Can you tell us a bit more about what interests you in quoting these authors and their books? First of all, the Whitechapel, the former library, seemed just the right place. And it sort of, in one sense, uh, what I was doing segued really well into the project. And that was very exciting to actually realize something in a former library. Now, the reason about, I mean, the quotes and the writings that I've been reading, um, as you notice, it's a range. It's not particularly logical in one sense. It's, as I said, you know, it's things that I find as I go along. And if there's a thought that finds a piece of writing or a poem that fits that thought, and the writer's written it better than I could ever have. Um, so that's a kind of a homage as well to the writer. Uh, and so that quote takes on a meaning other than what it meant in the very 
writing that the author herself might have decided. But for me, it uh, got, gets transposed into my own fantasy world and my living experiences. So these quotes are actually alive for me. You know, they're very much part of my fantasy world now that uh, I have them in my notebooks. So these quotes, in a way, kind of track your reading path and your line of thought. Right. What I find really interesting is that, um, you know, you bring together uh, references from the very distant past. So, for example, to, to goddesses from Hindu mythology, um, but also uh, females from Greek tragedy. Um, and you juxtapose these with more recent news stories. Um, can you tell us a bit more about this kind of juxtaposing of different time spans and types of um, types of texts? Well, uh, um, I'm interested in the contemporary, what we're living in today. And if people have written about uh, similar things in the past, uh, this can be brought up into the present. And uh, I think that uh, they still have a very strong uh, resonance today, whether I when I speak about Cassandra or Medea, or in fact Sita, they still have a resonance. I mean, I want to bring in that resonance into the contemporary. I mean, for example, to give a very uh, different uh, example, uh, when we went into a lockdown with the COVID, I just instinctively picked up Proust again, because somehow the way time got expanded in Proust and the in-depth of one moment became ever so important to hold on to time. And the very moment of that time became ever so rich uh, that it sort of soothed me when I was reading Proust. Um, and I started from the very beginning, Swan's Way, um, you know, and I've worked my way through. But uh, uh, this is what Proust did for me. But the other thing about the uh, having mythical figures and uh, especially uh, female uh, protagonists like uh, uh, Cassandra is uh, a lot to do with what I believe is female thought. Uh, Cassandra had an instinctive knowledge she, could, uh, she had a prognosis of the future, but what she could instinctively feel is a, a keen sense of hearing in every sense of the word. And I think, and I really say that this is uh, feminine thought, and, the, and this is the feminine side of human nature that can really think about the future. And I think that's what has constantly been a, a thread for me in my work, female thought, and how it can really heal and help progress happen for us in this world. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's interesting that you're talking about Proust and notions of time um, that struck you uh, during the COVID outbreak. Uh, and this uh, reference to Proust is part of these new animations that are made specifically for the Whitechapel um, uh, in between the time when we were planning the show and when we installed it in September 2020. I want to move on now to the title of the exhibition, which is Can You Hear Me?, which is also a reference to a, a specific and horrific news story from India of the rape of a young girl that triggered, um, I believe, some of the animations early on. But I also think it's a, a title that really is a wider call to the audience's attention 
alerting them to the dangers of fascism, totalitarianism, violence um, that you've been looking at throughout your career. And in a way, it's kind of asking the audience if they're listening to the messages that you're trying to transmit to them. Can you tell us a little bit about the significance of the title, Can You Hear Me? Yes, Can You Hear Me started with this little girl, this eight-year-old child uh, from a nomadic community in Kashmir. Um, And as one we had discussed earlier, that it was almost as if the idea of nation or the idea of community and group is is marked on the bodies of women. And this was also such an incident. And lately in September also there was an incident where, well, it was a tragic incident of another child, well, a 19-year-old girl who came from the lowest caste uh, in the Hindu hierarchy. And she was out cutting grass for her animals. And she was... uh, raped by four people, uh, strangled, and her back was broken, and they cut her tongue. Uh, and I made an animation, which I put on Instagram, about this case. And this resonates with a story from Ovid, actually, where there is uh, such a young person who's raped in the fourth century in the Christian era, and her tongue is cut off, and she's not able to say who was her rapist. So the thing is that it has a global consequence also in a metaphorical sense as well, because we are not only talking about rape, of course, is the extreme form of violence, but we also have, uh, you know, uh, 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 racism continues, you know, in, in, in the Western world, uh, as, as, as we know very well of what's happening in the United States. Uh, and the resonances of post-colonial racism still continues. And I think it's one thing that we need to really keep on stressing and talking about in the historical sense, even at the school level, because I think these these ideas need to be living ideas in the contemporary uh, scenario that we have today, because people don't realize how people have suffered in the past due to uh, the colonized uh, scenarios that we've had in in our pasts, and then it does resonate even till today. So I think this is where I I feel very strongly that the marginalized, of course, are the ones I want to speak about. But also, in the post-colonial scenario, we still have incidences of racism and uh, violence against the marginalized. And this still continues. And in in the 21st century, we should be thinking about how uh, we have to work towards improving the situation and uh, understanding it rather than perpetuating this violent history. As you mentioned, giving voice to the marginalized uh, I feel a lot of the times, yes, you, you're giving a voice to people who don't have a voice, so the lower caste in India, victims of abuse. Yes. The installation at first appears quite overwhelming, I suppose a little bit like um, the problems in the world that surround us. But um, as you spend more time with it, you come to understand it a little bit better. You start seeing the cycles of animations on the different channels, so they start the the repeat. There's a quote from Beckett that I love uh, that is, try again, fail again, fail better, that we can hear you whispering over and over again. In both our texts for the catalogue, we explore the importance of language and communication in your work. 
And in your work, you use many different types of language, so visual, sonic, written words. Can you describe the process of making your work, which types of languages or visual languages you might choose to focus on and why? Well, you know, it all depends. You know, this uh, the, this quote from Samuel Beckett is, it happens, I, I feel like this when there are things of this nature that happen uh, around us, as well the scenario with what's happening with women. Uh, you know, finally you have to keep on saying to yourself, no matter what, it's like the myth of Sisyphus, you know, you have to go on, even though you feel you're going to fail, you still have to go on. I think there's some sense of despair as well, because there's also one animation that ends up saying I'm exhausted. Mm. Um, so uh, I think that um, it's also states of mind mm. uh, and my own psyche that starts to speak. And uh, and there may be different pieces of writing that respond or correspond to that state. And then that seems the appropriate thing to make an animation about because recently I was reading Alice once again and there's a beautiful line that again corresponds to what we are going through so when she's asked uh, I forget the question that she's asked and she says "Um, I think I wasn't the same person I am today as I was yesterday so I don't know how to answer the question about yesterday because I'm not the same anymore today so it's, you know, things of that, that quote for me has a very strong resonance today. So what I'm trying to say is that, um, you know, my work really has to do with how, it's about how can one make the viewer um, think about things in a sociopolitical manner. Uh, it's, it's to activate that part of the viewer that could start to think about uh, what he or she is living in, what are the meanings over there, and perhaps with some of the quotes, those ideas would get triggered in the minds of people who come to visit the show. Absolutely, and I think you do this in a very uh, nimble way, using different quotes and using different registers and, and different moods. So I I like how on one moment you might be dealing with, you know, saying something like, I'm exhausted, um, you know, dealing with some, a horrific incident the next. But then you also use a lot of satire and humour. Um, I love your reference, for example, to Noam Chomsky, who says at one point, you know, he's amazed that humanity has managed to survive this long. Yes. Um, Nolini, I wanted to move on now to talk a little bit more broadly about your practice. Um, so your practice has often been described as being pioneering And the more we've worked together on this project, the more I totally agree in all senses of the word. Um, You're a leading international female figure and you've been working in new media since the 1970s. And as you've said earlier, you've always had a kind of social activist role and you address important political questions uh, in your work. You also mentioned on your interest in feminism and uh, this idea of feminine and masculine regions of the mind. And there's recurring feminine figures that you've mentioned. So you mentioned Cassandra. But in the animation, we also see Medea that comes up repeatedly, almost like a punctuation mark at the end of each animation. Yes. Um, And you've also mentioned Alice. Can you tell us a bit more about this interest in these recurring female figures? 
First of all, the reason why I, I started to work with uh, film and animation from very early on is because, you know, I think every artist, at least from my part of the world, wishes to have contact with the public. Otherwise, it becomes a kind of an ivory tower way of working if you're only going to be showing in a white cube space. Um, you're only going to be catering to an elite uh, or the bourgeoisie. And with the moving image uh, in India, uh, you do attract people from all stratas of society. And I tried, even fr uh, from those early years, to show in spaces where there would be access to people who could just walk in from the street, whether it was the man who sold peanuts around the corner or the uh, uh, or just the workers going home from, from work. The reason for picking up... Uh, uh, mythical figures and even stories from uh, of characters who a lot of people would know about, for example, Alice, because Alice has also been translated into many Indian languages. Um, people knew the stories. So whatever else I wanted to say uh, about uh, what I was experiencing could be uh, told through the, the personage of that particular mythical figure. And then that would become a link language. So the myth is the, the link language that I like to use as a device to be able to connect with an audience. And uh, so that is the reason why I've, I feel close to uh, a personage like Medea, um, Sita, as well as Cassandra, because there are resonances in Indian myths as well of these characters. So that's how it all started, and I've continued to uh, have uh, to have these personages in 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 the work that I do, in the animations, and also in my video shadow plays. And uh, Nalini, you've mentioned Alice a couple of times, and you mentioned this quote about earlier about not being the same person yesterday as she is today. Is Alice, in a way, a bit like your alter ego that's kind of developing through your various works? Well, you know, uh, I, uh, I wish I could say yes, but I'm not very sure, frankly, because I, I see her, I mean, I see the language that Lewis Carroll reused as, 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 as very intriguing. Um, you know, even the line from Humpty Dumpty, when she says, uh, how can you make a word mean whatever you want? Now, you know, he, and he says, yes, I can make a word mean um, it's not the exact quote i'm just paraphrasing but that's exactly what's happening today a, a word doesn't anymore have the meaning it should be having and mm. you know with old news and fake news and what have you i mean we are in that situation again with humpty dumpty and alice so there are so many things which are very insightful on the part of the writer which one feels uh, rings so true today so I, I, I wish I could say, yes, Alice is an alter ego, but she's also this personality that's popped out of my head. Uh, and also she's, she continues to have the language that Lewis Carroll gave her. And so you've, you've mentioned that she's popped up in different media, so she's, a, she's appeared in your paintings. Um, and I wanted to talk a bit more broadly about all the different media that you work with. So you've worked in paintings, in, in theatre sets, in wall drawing, erasure performances, and in video shadow plays. Um, for me, it seems as though you're almost equally at ease in any genre of, of media. 
There doesn't seem to be a kind of hierarchy in your work. What seems to happen is that you have you adapt and use the possibilities of each medium to express the particular subject matter that you're ex exploring. And at other times, you're really stretching the possibilities of their visual, visual language uh, in that kind of pioneering sense that I mentioned earlier. Would you say this is correct and this is something that you, you're trying to achieve? Well, you know, drawing and painting for me is like a keyboard. That's It's like, you know... Uh, a composer might use the, the, the keyboard to compose a concerto or an orchestra uh, or a, a, a symphony. Um, but And for me, it's through painting that I, and drawing that I can think because I don't, I, I, I don't think I'm very good with words. Uh, and so it's thinking through visuals, that is the drawing and the painting, and then also artist books. These things, these are the uh, items or the or the forms that I find that give me the possibility of moving into the moving image, let's say, to into animation or the video shadow plays, which are really uh, quite huge in scale and uh, uh, which have many elements as well. There's, there's elements of different types of shadows uh, in the video shadow plays, which need to be planned out in great detail from the painted image to the, to the video and then the combination of the two, the collaging of the of the images on the cylinders that throw shadows over the video images and the sense of the palimpsest, which because it keeps moving, so you're always seeing something else. Something gets erased and something else comes in. All of this needs much more of a structure uh, uh, and time. And whereas with, uh, with drawing and painting, I... It's the stillness of the image which needs to be animated in different ways. I wanted to ask one final question, Nalini, which is, what do you hope the visitors will take away from your installation? There are a few things. And I think that what I... Uh, when I read a book, for example, which is not from my culture, and I give the example of reading Dr. Faustus by Thomas Mann, for me, the, the book, uh, since I didn't live through that war, I wasn't there... Uh, I found that for me, the annotations were of great importance. And I actually went through all the annotations in Dr. Faustus to really understand uh, the entire meaning of the book. Uh, just as much as another book, which for me was very important, was uh, The Heart of Darkness. And this book begins with this journey that a few business people are having on the Thames with the person who writes in the first person singular in the entire book. And he's addressing these, these business people who have a stake in, in, the, in the Far East. And um, I try to figure out now what would that be about? And then, of course, one goes into colonial history and so on. So uh, these are things that I take away from the readings I do of uh, books from uh, cultures which are not mine. And I, I hope that with this animation chamber, the same might happen. The people who may have read uh, Beckett a long time ago or Brecht would go back and say, well, what did he really say and what did it all mean? What did it mean in that period? And I, th I hope that that's what happens, one of the things. The other thing is that if... I have been able to uh, irritate a mind into thinking about what is happening in the world today. 
and whether some of these things that I do small little drawings about that would start to uh, activate people's minds about the socio-political situation and think about how we can progress on this good earth into a real progress, into a real progress where, you know, uh, we've been able to work our way through um, not uh, denigrating the other. And that is the big problem. And the, the other can be women, it can be somebody who's black, who comes from a different caste as in India. All of this is something that I worry about, especially for the future of our children. Well, I hope that the exhibition will excite and irritate and inspire people to uh, listen to the messages that you have to tell them. I do hope all our visitors are going to catch the exhibition that is both engrossing and inspiring. It's on until the 6th of June 2021. Thank you so much, Nalini, for this really fascinating conversation, which tracks your endless experimentation with the moving image. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Here Now. You can find all of our other episodes online at www.whitechapelgallery.org. Don't forget to visit the exhibition Nalini Milani, Can You Hear Me? from 23rd of September 2020 until the 6th of June 2021. Bye for now.